While responsibility includes lots of areas of life, it certainly includes awareness that we don't do life alone. This message is the seventh in the series, Wise Up. The message is entitled, Be Responsible, Part 1. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Wising up, the reason that we chose that is because when you gain wisdom, it leads you upward. It leads you to a higher plane, a higher place in life. And God's design for every one of us is that we would wise up, that we would gain wisdom. And wisdom does not come to you passively. Wisdom is something you have to go after. And even after you have gone after wisdom and obtained it, you have to hold on to it. You have to preserve it so it becomes a part of your life. And God's plan for you is that as you get older, you would also get wiser. There are a lot of folks, unfortunately, that get older and really don't get wiser, but our desire, I'm sure your desire, like mine is, is that we would gain wisdom through the years, that next year we would be wiser than we are today. And wisdom is not just information in your head. Wisdom is an ability to understand things that in a way that will help you to make decisions and to live your life differently. Because when, you, the, the, when you're uh, missing wisdom, the absence of wisdom is foolishness. People who are not wise are, the Bible says, foolish. And so foolishness leads you to a lot of bad decisions. Wisdom leads you to better, bettering the decisions of your life. And wisdom applies in lots of different areas. You need to be wise about how you handle your money and wise about how you handle your marriage and wise about how you do business. Wisdom is not just monolithic or one area. There are all kind of dimensions of wisdom that you and I have to develop. And today we're going to focus our attention on the wisdom that, that is centered around relationships, particularly the relationships of our everyday encounters or relationships with folks we will call our neighbors. So look with me, if you will, at Proverbs chapter 3. I'm going to begin in verse number 27 and read down through verse 35. This is the last part of the third chapter of the book of Proverbs, and I will read this from two different translations, first starting with the New International Version. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back later. I'll give it tomorrow when you now have it with you. Do not plot harm against your neighbor who lives trustfully near you. Do not accuse a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a violent man or choose any of his ways. For the Lord detests a perverse man but takes the upright into his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. He mocks, poor, he mocks proud mockers, but gives grace to the humble. The wise inherit honor, but fools he holds to shame. Now let me read this from the New Living Translation, just a bit more of a modern version, uh, translation of the Old Testament Hebrew and New Testament Greek. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it is in your power to help them. If you can help your neighbor now, don't say, come back tomorrow, then I'll help you. Don't plot harm against your neighbor for those who live nearby trust you. Don't pick a fight without reason when no one has done you harm. Don't envy violent people or copy their ways. Such wicked people are detestable to the Lord, but he offers his friendship to the godly. The Lord curses the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the upright. The Lord mocks the mockers, but is gracious to the humble. The wise inherit honor, but fools are put to shame. These verses, at least a large portion of these verses that I've just read, deal with our interactions with a group of folks we're going to call our neighbors. In fact, this passage refers to the very word neighbors. 
So before we look at some principles here, let me define neighbor for you. Everybody has some neighbors, and the Bible says your neighbors and how you relate to them is important. In fact, Jesus was asked a question one day, what is the most important commandment of all? And the response was, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So God cares about your neighbors. And God wants you to care about your neighbors. And what is a neighbor? A neighbor is our, represent the folks that are in your world. Those that are in the sphere of your influence or interaction. Your neighbors are people that you live with at home. Your neighbors are the people that you work with. Your neighbors are those that you live by. That apartment next door to you. That townhouse that's adjacent to you. That house that's across the street from you. The people that you interact with on an ongoing basis. You have some connection with. People that will even God will bring into your path on a day-to-day -day basis. These are your neighbors. And we need to learn how to handle them. How to be wise when it comes to neighboring people well. So I'm going to share with you this weekend and next weekend 10 characteristics of a good neighbor, 10 characteristics of how we're to live our lives in relationship to other people. Today we'll look at five of those. So let's dive right in. First of all, good neighbors are those that help those that you've been called to help. A good neighbor is a helping hand. A good neighbor is a helping person. Notice again verses 27 and 28, Proverbs 3, do not withhold good. Do not withhold it. Don't hold it back. Good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. If you can help your neighbor now, don't say, come back tomorrow and then I'll help you. Here's the instruction that God gives to each one of us. There are times and people and situations that God says, I want you to help that person. Now, by the way, you can't help everybody. There's no way that you or I have enough resources to meet all of the needs that will come our way any day, in any situation. We can't solve every problem that people have, but there are certain people that God will bring into your world, and God says, I've assigned you to be a helper to that person, and don't withhold good from them. They deserve your attention. They deserve your help. I'm giving you an assignment for that particular individual. I want you to help them. Don't withhold good from them. Them. Now, to be in a position to help your neighbor, you have to have the right heart. And the right heart is a heart of compassion. And this is where we get in trouble a lot of times because sadly in the world in which we live and just the day-to-day -day interactions that we have with people, life can take the compassion out of you. If you're not careful through the interactions that you have with people. Sometimes people are nasty and sometimes people hurt you and many times people disappoint you and many times people will even seek to harm you. And what we tend to do over the years as we get older is to close our hearts off and become a little harder on the inside. Rather than soft, we become more guarded. We become harder. And so what happens is it robs us of our willingness to be compassionate or even having a heart of compassion. And what I want you to see that according to Scripture, that compassion, the ability to help someone and the desire to help someone doesn't start with your hands. It starts with your heart. It happens in here. And so I would ask you this weekend as we're gathered together studying God's Word, do you have a soft heart or do you have a hard heart? 
Has life been so difficult to you and people treated you so difficult in such a difficult way over the years that you have closed your heart off to others? Or is there still something in you that is compassionate toward the needs of people? See, when Jesus interacted with people, he did so with compassion. The Bible says that when Jesus saw a hurting person, he was moved with compassion. So it all starts in your heart and then it works its way from your heart into your hand that you actually engage yourself in relieving the pains and difficulties of other people because you say, I want to be a person that does good to my neighbor. I don't want to just walk by them and say, God bless you. I want to engage with the people that God asked me to engage with to help make their lives better. You remember the story of the Good Samaritan? The story of the man that was beaten up and left by the side of the road to die. And Jesus told the story. And he was, he, was a, he was a man that Jewish folks didn't like. They were, it was two separate races, the Samaritans and the Jews. And they despised one another. The Bible says that a priest came by and saw the Samaritan beaten up on the side of the road and walked on the other side and basically said, God bless you, but didn't engage. And then there's a Levite, a minister in the house of the temple, the temple house, the worship of God. And he did the same, walked on the other side. But then there was another man that came by. He was a good Samaritan and he came by the Jewish man and reached out and ministered to his need and took care of him. And the Bible says that man was the man who was the neighbor. He was the man that met the need. He had a heart and that heart of compassion moved his hands to action. And so the first thing about being a good neighbor is that you and I are willing to help the people that God calls us to help. The second thing that you and I learn from this passage about being a good neighbor is to make sure that in all of our interactions, we are harmless, that we don't hurt, but we help. That we're harmless to other people. Listen to verse 29. Don't plot harm against your neighbor for those who live nearby trust you. Don't plot harm. You don't need to respond to this with an uplifted hand, but I'm sure that many of you could acknowledge this in your life, that you've had people in your life before that plotted harm against you. Anyone just want to shake your head? You said, yeah, I had one of those people in my life. They gossiped about me or they told things that were not true about me or they were seeking my harm. They were trying to hurt me and no one likes those kind of experiences. It's very painful to go through something when someone is after you, someone is trying to harm you in some way. And the Bible says, don't be that kind of person. Don't be someone that through your gossip, through your words, through the action that you take, that there is a plotting in your life to bring somebody else down. See, our job in life is not to bring other people down. Our job in life is to help people rise up. Amen? That's your job. As a follower of Jesus is not to see how many folks that you can bring down, but God's job and assignment is how many folks can you bring up? Not how many folks can you harm, but how many people can you help? How many can you assist along the way? He says, don't harm. Now, let me tell you some things that can harm people. I've mentioned a few already. Your words can harm people. Your attitudes can harm people. Unethical behavior can harm people. Immoral behavior can harm people. When you do things that are wrong, never think that you're the only one that might suffer. Your actions can cause other people to suffer. And never think of people as your avenue to get something that you want. People are not made to be used. Can I have an amen right there? Okay. People are not, are not your pathway to something. 
We don't use people. You use things and love people. You don't love things and use people. That's the difference. And so we as Christian believers say, you know what, we're not going to use another person for our agenda. We are all about helping and not harming, adding value instead of taking value away, being someone that says, I am here to help. I'm never going to harm. Do no harm. Say it with me. Do no harm. The third thing that we're taught here in this passage is that good neighbors will be a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. If you're a good neighbor, you will be a peacemaker and not a troublemaker. Some folks are troublemakers. They instigate trouble practically everywhere they go. When you see them coming, you might say something like this, here comes trouble. You may not say it, but oftentimes you think it. And even when you see that person coming, you want to go the opposite direction because you know they're always stirring something up. They're always adding fuel to a fire. When they arrive on the scene, they escalate things rather than de-escalate things. They make it hotter rather than cooler. And listen to what the scripture says here in verse number 30 of Proverbs 3. Don't pick a fight without reason when no one has done you harm. Don't go around with a contentious spirit that is always creating trouble and difficulty for people around you. Let me help you to understand something here. I think you know this, but let me bring it to your attention again. If you're always creating trouble and strife and tension in your interactions with people. And if trouble is following you around, you're always troubling things. You know, the reason that happens is because it's in you, because it's in you before it's out of you, around you. What I'm saying is this, if you're fighting with people, it means that you're, you, you're already fighting with yourself. If you can't be at peace with other people, it means that you're not at peace with yourself. Peace with other people starts with being at peace with yourself. Have you noticed that when you've been in God's presence, worshiping Him and reading His Word, or maybe you've been in a good church service and you've just been really touched by God, that you're nice? Have you noticed that? Okay. That as the peace of God has come upon you, that it changes the way you go about, I mean, things that would normally bother you don't bother you because you're walking in the peace of God. When you're walking in the peace of God, you make peace with people around you. And dear ones, our world already has enough trouble, amen? Okay. Our world already has enough trouble. We don't need to be, as Christians, people who are adding to the trouble of the world. As Christians, we need to be adding peace to the trouble around us. And that's, that, that's what believers do. Jesus made it very clear that our calling is a calling to be peacemakers. In fact, in one of his major sermons that Jesus gave at the beginning of his ministry, he gave something called the Beatitudes, and he said this, Blessed are not the troublemakers, he said, Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. So, so how about you? When, you? when you show up in an environment, are you like gasoline on a fire? Do you escalate things? Do you always have an attitude about you that creates tension and creates division and creates strife? Is that the way you live? Or when you show up in, a, in an environment, do you bring with you the peace of God? Are you a peacemaker? Are you easily offended? Does this the slightest thing 
bother you when someone maybe inadvertently says something and you get offended easily. See, folks like that are not secure on the inside. Let the peace of God reign in you and let the peace of God flow through you. A good neighbor is not a troublemaker. A good neighbor is a peacemaker. Proverbs is teaching us, do good. Take that calling of God and help people that you can help. Don't be harmful in your attitudes. Don't do things that are, that are immoral or unethical in your life. Or don't use people for your own ends. Don't harm other people. Help them. Don't bring people down. Help them to rise up. And then make sure that you're not contentious. Don't be a troublemaker. Be a peacemaker. Let's go to our fourth thing together. The fourth characteristic that we're told here is to guard against jealousy. So good neighbors guard against jealousy because jealousy divides, jealousy creates unnecessary competition, jealousy creates tension, jealousy drives people apart. Notice Proverbs 3.31, don't envy violent people or copy their ways. There's a lot that I could say about that one verse, but the phrase that popped out to me as I was studying it is the phrase don't envy. Say it with me, don't envy. Envy, jealousy is not a good thing. There is a dark underbelly of envy that can destroy your life and jealousy. I would say that of the top five or ten things that I see really creating problems for people, this would be one of them. We spend as human beings and even as Christian believers, sadly, a lot of our time comparing ourselves with other people. We might compare ourselves with somebody else's looks or somebody else's advantages or someone else's position or someone else's possessions or whatever you fill in the blank. That you look at your life and then you look at someone else and you say, let me look at them compared to that person. And generally speaking, you always come out on the worst end. You always say, well, they have it better than I have it. And it's even gotten worse in our day of social media because everybody puts their best foot forward on Facebook. Okay? Amen? I mean, they've been to this vacation, and they've been to that vacation, and they've been to this restaurant and that restaurant. They're out with this group of friends, and you're thinking, I don't have friends like that. Why didn't that person call me? Or, wow, they got 10 more likes than I did on that picture, okay? So I'm, at the, I'm talking the real deal here, okay? This is the way we tend to live life. And so with all the advantages of social media in terms of communication and so forth, again, there's this dark dimension of it that you and I need to be aware of that we start comparing our lives with somebody else's. And then what sneaks in is this thing called competitiveness or envy and jealousy because you're never going to look as good as somebody else from your world because, I mean, you know, your world is pretty ordinary, amen? Anybody have an ordinary world? Your world looks really ordinary compared to what other folks get to do, what other folks have in life. But here's the fallacy. The problem is you don't really know what other folks are going through. You don't realize that they bought that picture of that vacation and posted it, okay? It's not even real. That's not even them. They photoshopped themselves on the beach, okay? And suddenly your life is all disturbed and irritated and frustrated because of what you think somebody else has that you don't have. 
And then that leads to the peace of God being robbed from you. And then it's just a downward spiral. Let me take you to the Bible and show you the story of the downward spiral of a man who gave place to jealousy. In Genesis chapter 4, beginning in verse number 1, we're only four chapters into this book called the Bible. The book of beginnings, Genesis. We're four chapters in, and this problem shows up. Now, Adam and Eve, Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, With the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Liz, I've had a son. Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. So we all know the first two brothers. Their names are Cain and Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. So they got older. They went into their, their, possession, their, 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 their professions. And so Abel is a guy that's raising livestock and Cain is tilling the ground. He's a farmer of agricultural. When it was time for the harvest, so harvest season came, and Cain, please notice this, Cain presented, read the next four, four words with me, some of his crop. Come on, read it with me. Cain presented some of his crop. How much of his crops? Some. Some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. So when it came time to go worship God and bring an offering, Cain said, I'll, I'll give something. I'll give him something. So he brings some of his crop. Now, Abel also brought a gift. Read the next three words with me. The best portion. So Cain gave some of his crops. Abel gave the best. Cain gave some. Abel gave the best. Cain gave. Help me here. Cain gave some. Abel gave the best. That's very important because both of these guys decided what they were going to do when it came to God. They made a decision. One guy says, I'll give him something. The other guy says, no, I'm going to give him my best. Your decisions matter. Your decisions take you somewhere. God watches the decisions that you make. He does not force you to make decisions, but he observes he's aware of the decisions that you make and so God is watching this now notice what happens so the best portions of the firstborn lambs that's another whole element of the firstborn that he gave so that represents the tithe that's another whole lesson I could give you about that but the Bible says that the Lord accepted Abel and his gift but he did not accept Cain and his gift now let's stop there for a moment is God a respecter of persons? no it's not that God loved Abel more than he loved Cain, right? It's that Cain and Abel made different decisions, right? Cain gave some, Abel gave the best. And so God said, okay, Cain, don't like what you did there because you didn't put me first. You didn't think about this. Abel, good job, man, because you put me first. You gave me your best. And so there was a pleasure toward Abel and a displeasure toward Cain, not because God is a respecter of persons, but because God observes the decisions that you and I make in life. Now notice what happens. This made Cain very angry and he looked dejected. Have you ever noticed, watch people do dumb things themselves and then get mad at other people? Ever seen them before? Okay. 
They do stupid things themselves, foolish things themselves, get themselves in trouble and want to blame you for it. And get mad at you. That's exactly what's going on here. There's nothing new under the sun. Okay? Nothing new under the sun. So Cain gets mad at Abel, mad at God. And really the problem was with himself. And God brings back this confrontation in verse number 6. Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at your door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. Let me stop there and explain what we're talking about here, what the scripture is talking about. What happened with Cain was he became jealous of how God responded to his brother, not realizing that he was responsible for his own choices. And out of that jealousy came anger and then ultimately came murder. He eventually killed his brother and it all started with jealousy. You know, there have been people in our world, actually people in our world today that are, that are murdered and it all starts with jealousy. It all starts with a seed of envy, a seed of jealousy that becomes anger and then it gets out of control and we have a crime of passion where someone's life is taken because of somebody being angry and jealous toward another person and not controlling themselves. God says, Cain, get a handle, get a life, get this together because if you don't, it's going to lead you to some really bad places. Did Cain listen to God? No, he did not. And what mastered him? His jealousy and his anger mastered him, and he killed his brother. Notice now what the New Testament says about this story in 1 John chapter 3, verse 12. We must not be like Cain. You ought to underscore that in your notes. We must not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil and his brother had been doing what was righteous. Listen to James 3, 13 through 15. We're just about done here. If you are wise, if you're wise and understand God's ways, prove it that his wisdom can be proven. Prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and, notice the next word, demonic. God says it's never wise to be jealous. When jealousy begins to find root in you, you're opening yourself to the adversary of your soul. And de detrimental things, devastating things happen when we do. Last point. A good neighbor will choose, to be the, choose the right role models and choose to be the right role model. I want to talk about role models for a moment. Because... In your neighborly interactions, there's this issue of role modeling that will come up. Look at Proverbs 3.31. Don't envy violent people. We just talked about the envy element. Or copy their ways. That is, be very careful of the people that you model your life after. In your interactions with people, and that's what your neighbors are, okay? You're going to interact with some really good people, and you're going to interact with some really bad people, right? 
Don't raise your hand on this either. Anybody has some not so nice people that live in your neighborhood, okay? Right? We all meet them. We all know them. And God says as you're in this world of interaction with your neighbors, you're going to meet some good folks. You're going to meet some not so good folks. And you're going to have to choose which of those you're going to let have influence in your life. Which ones will be your role models? If you're, if you're a, a college student in a dormitory, okay, there are going to be some, some young folks in that dormitory that could be a good role model and some not so good. You've got to choose who you're going to hang out with, okay? You've got to choose who, who will be the influences. If it doesn't just work for young people, it works for all of us. And here's the problem. Our culture today, I hope you'll listen closely because you might think what I'm about to say only relates to young people, but I've found that adults have as much of a problem with this as kids do. We are not very good in discerning when it comes to the people that we put up on a pedestal to be role models. Primarily in our culture today, people are, are role models because they're celebrities. Okay? They're role models because they have earned fame or fortune. So if somebody earns fame, they're famous because of a song they sing or an album they produced or whatever it is that makes them famous, then suddenly, oh, wow, that's awesome. Let's dress like them. Let's talk like them. Let's be like them. Or they make a lot of money, fortune, wow, they've got to be awesome. Let, let, let's, let's get the same kind of house they have. Let's drive the same kind of car they drive because after all, if we can identify with them, then that makes us feel better about us. And so we choose these role models because we think they're famous and we think that they're, they have fortune. And so all of a sudden we gravitate toward them and start emulating them without even realizing what we're doing. But see, let me tell you, that's the... That's, that's the biggest, one of the biggest fallacies of the adversary because notice this, I'm not saying it's true in every situation, but it is true in many situations. Those folks with the fame and the fortune oftentimes have no foundation of character in their life. Okay? Now, that's, that's, actually, that is a pitiful clap, okay? That's totally pitiful, but I'm going to forgive you for it and go on, all right? Okay? I know you were thinking about it, okay? You were just taking it in. What should cause you to want to be like someone? Their fame, their fortune, or their foundation of character? If you want to emulate someone, don't emulate someone because, just because they're famous. Don't emulate someone just because they have a fortune, okay? Emulate them because they have something worthy of emulation. That is, there's character in them. I've been so uh, blessed by seeing many of our Olympic athletes from all different countries many times who will, will, when they're interviewed, they will give glory to God. They will talk about the work ethic that they engaged in that led them to where they were. They're not just all about strutting themselves around as though they're all that. Listen, they're not all that. What they have and what they're able to achieve, they, were achieved, they achieved by the grace and mercy of God. And you realize that when someone stands up and gives honor and glory to God for an accomplishment in their life, maybe that's the person I want to learn something from, okay? Maybe that's the kind of person I want to be a role model in my life. And so be careful who you want to be when you grow up. You can say that to a 20-year-old or a 50-year-old because those are the role models we set for our life. Let's flip to the other side. Everybody still with me so far? You still love me? You okay with me? Okay. Just want to make sure. I'm okay if you don't, but I just want to check it out, okay? 
It's not just enough to choose the right role models. Here's the more important thing. You need to be the right role model. You need to be the kind of person in your neighborhood that people look at and say, wow, yeah, look at that family. You know what? It's amazing. Every Sunday I see them getting in the car and they, where do they go? I don't know. And then they come back in about an hour and a half, two hours. Where do they go to every Sunday? Okay. But boy, they sure seem to be a nice family. And before long, you have opportunities to say, well, yeah, we, we go to church, okay? You go to church? What is that about? See, what you see, you earn influence in people's lives by having a life that's worth emulating, okay? That people start looking at you and saying, I want to be like that. Because in our world today, we need some genuine, are you listening to me? We need some genuine, real deal, absolute, all-in, totally committed followers of Jesus Christ. Amen, okay? That's what we need in our world today, okay? We need people that live for the glory of God every day. Does that, is that going to mean that you're perfect? No, no one except Jesus was perfect, okay? But it means you're striving toward a mark, that you're not happy when you see things in your life that you know need to be addressed. So you continue to work toward to becoming the person that is the kind of folks, the kind of person other folks can follow. And I'll say this to you, especially if you're a parent, you need to be the hero of your children, okay? Your children need to say, I want to be like daddy when I grow up. Not just in terms of your fame or fortune, but in terms of the character of your life, that they look at you and they know you to be a man or a woman of integrity. They know you to be a man or a woman of prayer. They know you to be a man or woman of the word of God. They know you to be a man or a woman of your word. They know these things about you and say, that's what I want to be when I grow up. Jesus made it clear as well to all of us in that same passage I referred to a moment ago called the Beatitudes. He said to his followers, and that includes you and me, he said, you are the light of the world. There's a lot of darkness in our world today. And what God needs is not, he doesn't need more of us walking around telling him about the darkness. He already knows, okay? He doesn't need any of us walking around cursing the darkness. He needs people that will rise up and say, in my neighborhood, in my family, in my workplace, I will be the light of Jesus. Amen? amen. Paul, amen. Paul said it this way. Listen to Paul's words. And with this, we're concluding in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 1. He looked to the Corinthian believers, wrote to the Corinthian believers and said, follow my example. Notice that. Can you say that to people? Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. May that be the way that we live our lives so that we can say to our children, our grandchildren, our neighbors, the folks that we interact with around, follow me as I follow Jesus Christ. Let's join together in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the instruction of your word. We pray that you would help us to really embrace this, not just as a message for the day, but Lord, as a way that helps us to challenge, change our lives. Give us the power of the Holy Spirit to do this, we pray in your name. 
Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that'll make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that'll help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.